You like that picture? Let, 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 me, let me give you the caption. Are you ready? Daddy, why are you sleeping on the couch? Right? Here it comes. You ready? Because I didn't go to man church on Thursday. Yeah, that's right. See, because this year for the men's retreat, we're doing something we've never done before. We're starting on Thursday night. And we're doing what we call man church here from seven until nine. And so ladies, if you love your husband, and if he's not gonna respond to the conviction of the Holy Spirit, then he'll respond to the conviction of you, right? And so you just need to remind him this picture and let him know. He can either be there for a couple of weeks or he can be here next Thursday from seven to nine. Come on. Hey, you, I get it. If you can't do the activities on Friday, you can't get off of work, we understand that. If your schedule is such that you can't do an overnighter, we understand that too. It's one of the reasons why we're inserting this, this, this uh, uh, worship moment uh, in that week because I bet all of you, maybe with a rare exception of a few of you, if, if your work schedule conflicts, but most of you can be here from 7 to 9 next Thursday night. I'm going to be teaching about living a memorable life. Uh, we're going to do some giveaways, uh, and then also we're going to have an amazing time of worship. Guys, you've got to allow yourself to be in a spiritually charged environment without other people around you that are looking to you for something, right? We're worshiping in this type of setting, it's important to worship as a family, but, but a lot of times you're, we can get distracted, especially if you've got little ones or, or there's just there's demands on you and your time. For all of you, it's one of the reasons why the ladies' brunches and the, uh, the, when, when the ladies get away to devote it, it's the same thing for them. They get away into a spiritually charged environment where other people don't have demands on them. You've got to give yourself that same gift, amen? All right, Thursday or the couch, that's your choice. Thursday or the couch. Hey, how about a quick shout out to uh, William and Heather Anger and Tobias. Come on. <laughs> Visiting with us, have been a part of the church for a long time. They moved uh, out uh, Colorado, out to Colorado uh, several months ago, and so they're back in town, so it's good to have you with us, so we're, we're glad you're here. Hey, before I get into my, uh, my message tonight, I want to share a couple of things that I felt like God was putting on my, my heart. I, I came this morning to do some things, and while I was here, I was just in the sanctuary praying for tonight, and I, I just felt like the Holy Spirit was just stirring some things in my heart I want to share before we uh, get into the, to the sermon. So, so, so last night, uh, Claire was at a birthday party, and she came home and had discovered this really cool craft idea that you can take glow sticks. You know what glow sticks are, right? They have glow bands on their arms. They've all, right? So you can cut those open and you can put them in a glass jar and then put glitter in there and swirl it all around. And then you can put it in your room and, it, and the whole jar glows, right? Like something out of Harry Potter. And so, so we were there and, and, and she's cutting and it was, it was hard to get the, the glow stick stuff, whatever that chemical that's, that's, that's in the band to come out, right? Because it, it just does, it's kind of thick. And so I said, you know, if we cut both ends, we can blow through one end, right? <laughs> And, and it'll come out. And she said, all right, come on, let's do it. And, and she said, well, what, you're probably not supposed to get that in your mouth. And I'm like, that's okay, I'll do it. It's okay, it'll be all right, because I, I'm gonna, I won't breathe in, right? I'm just gonna, you, right? you've done it before, guys, right? You're siphoning something, right? you take the big, you breathe it. So yeah, so I get there and I'm blowing it and everything's working great, right? We do like five or maybe six of them. And then all of a sudden it was like, 
Fire, my lips are starting to get really numb. <laughs> I'm not kidding you. Yeah, there is a numbing effect if you get that stuff on your lips, right? So, so I Googled it. This, I went, it went away pretty quick, but then when I woke up this morning, I remember so I was a little nervous. So I Googled it, you know, is our glow sticks. That's, that's as far as I got. Google finished the rest for me. Toxic, right? Because, right? <laughs> Because I'm sure parents have come into a room and some teething kid is right astronaut on that thing and they're all right looking, they're come out of the movie It or something, their faces all glowing. And so, so it said, not very toxic. I was like, what does not very mean, right? <laughs> what is not very toxic? Well, I'm, why am I telling you that story? Unintended consequences. Unintended consequences. Last weekend, my latest binge watching on Netflix was the Unabomber series. Anybody seen the Unabomber series on Netflix? Yeah? No? What are you guys doing with your life? Right? So, so if you haven't seen it, right, if you're familiar with that, you should, the, it's, it's a fascinating story, even if you know the story. It's, 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 it's just, it, they, they, they come at it from a, a different perspective and, and, and how he was caught and the drive of, of certain people. And, and part of the story, kind of the ancillary part of the Unabomber story, is, is, the, uh, is the creation of linguistic forensics. It, I mean, it's, it's really cool. But but what I didn't realize is after binge watching that for the entire weekend, when the mail came on Monday, there were packages. <laughs> yeah, I'm not kidding you. And there was a moment where I thought, hey kids, there's some packages here. If you want to come and open, right? There was this, I had this, I'm, I kid you not, I had this feeling of this is how it happened for the people in the show. Like they didn't know that there was a bomb in there. They were just, it was an ordinary day, just like I'm having an ordinary day. And I literally had this feeling in my heart of, I'm not sure I want to open that. Unintended consequences. Unintended consequences. I'm talking to you about unintended consequences, not by way of an example, but by way of contrast. Because when I was in here this morning praying, I had such a distinct feeling that somebody was going to be in here tonight and that you're making some decisions, and you know they're wrong. And you know the bad things are going to come if you do it. And you're thinking about doing it anyways. See, it's one thing to make honest mistakes and for there to be unintended consequences. We've all been there. We've all, we've all made honest mistakes in our lives. It's something else to intentionally do something that you know that you shouldn't, that you know at some point is going to harm you and harm other people. And a lot of moral decisions that people make, and when they make poor decisions, it has nothing to do with unintended consequences. They just choose to do it anyways. And I had such a strong sense praying here in the sanctuary, just walking up and down the aisles, that somebody here, you're, that you're in that place. And I feel like God wants to caution you tonight because one of the consequences that comes from doing things that you know that you're not supposed to do is that it begins to desensitize your conscience. It's not just about the act. It's not just about the, the direct consequences that come from doing something that you know that you're, that you're not supposed to do. That there's, there's an extra consequence, and it's the desensitization of your conscience. And, and the devil oftentimes doesn't really care about the thing that he's trying to get you to do. He's trying to desensitize your heart. 
And over time, if you continue in this pattern of doing things that you know are wrong, doing things that you know that you're not supposed to do, which is a temptation all of us struggle with because it's the nature of our humanity. At the end of the day, we're born selfish, and this is part of our struggle. We're going to be talking about it tonight in the, in the message, is that if you allow your conscience to be desensitized enough, your heart begins to harden. And when that happens, you can get lost in that place for a lifetime. That's the end game that the devil's trying to get you into, is into a place where there's just absolute indifference in your heart towards the things of God. And what I would say to you is these decisions that you're making now, that that's the road that you're starting down. Father, for whoever that is here tonight, for whatever person that's just walking in here tonight and you're just, you're reading their mail, you're, 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 you're letting them know that you see them and you see what they're wrestling with. I thank you for that wrap up. Vanessa didn't know I was going to be sharing about this and that powerful verse that she read about how, how you can give us the desire to do the right thing and you give us the power to act on it. I pray for that person that's in here tonight. I pray that you would change the desire of their heart. I pray that their desire would shift away from the sin away from the temptation and their desire would begin to shift towards righteousness and wanting to live a life that's pleasing to you. And I pray, Father, that even now in this moment that they would fill their, they would feel their heart filling with such a power that's not of this world to resist that temptation that, that today and every day after is gonna be a new day for them. In Jesus' name, come on, and everybody said, amen. All right, if you've got your Bible, you can turn to, let's do Luke chapter 11. I'm going to read a, a couple of different versions of the Lord's Prayer. If you've been with us for any amount of time, you know we've been in a little bit of a, a mini-series. We've been in a series this whole year. We're staying in it the entire year for 12 months on discipleship. If you want to learn more about what we believe about discipleship, you can go to letspraxis.com, uh, uh, P-R-A-X-I-S, letspraxis.com, uh, and then you can learn all about uh, our model for discipleship and one of our 12 pathways that we teach in this model is prayer. And so we've been talking about prayer for several weeks, weeks, and we kind of we're, we're drilling down on this one prayer that's that's been popularized uh, in a couple of different places in the Bible. That's it's now known as the Lord's Prayer. We started by working out of Romans eight twenty six to twenty eight, and and we learned this statement together. I have a condition where I find a companion who gives me a chore that breeds a confidence that builds to a cry. I trust you. And when we understand that Romans eight is connected to this idea of the Lord prayer, it begins to cause us to ask the question, have I, have I been using the Lord's prayer in less ways than God intended? Meaning that most of us grow up learning the Lord's prayer and we learn it as a list of petitions, meaning that we're asking God for something. And that's not wrong, but what I would say to you, it's incomplete. That the Lord's prayer is also just as much about praise as it is petition. And what I would, what I would argue, and what I've been arguing in this little bit of a mini-series on prayer, in this bigger series of discipleship, is that it's more about praise than it is about petition, because when we get the praise right, it begins to change the petitions that we have. Matthew chapter 6, listen to 9 through 13. It says, pray then in this way, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day 
our daily bread. Now that's where we've gotten up to in our series. I'm hoping tonight that we're going to get through 12 and 13. If you're looking at this prayer through Matthew, we're also going to read it in just a minute from Luke, and Luke adds a little bit. Now I'm not going to do it for the sake of time, but in the notes that we always put online, if you go to our podcast page, there's a PDF document that has all the scripture references. And so if we move faster than you would prefer, if you're a note taker, you can always download these notes. So if, if you compare the King James Version to the New American Standard, even in Matthew 6, 9 through 13, you find that these prayers are a little bit different because they come from two different streams of manuscripts. And I believe this was always part of God's plan because both together, together give us everything that God intended. They don't hold each other in contradiction, but they hold each other in companionship. Luke 11, 1 through 4, listen to this in the King James. It says, And it came to pass that when he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, when he stopped praying, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. Now listen to what the Luke narrative gives us through the King James. It says, He said unto them, When you pray, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Now, he uses a different word here. He talks about sins instead of debts. We're going to get into that tonight. As we forgive everyone that is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. In the King James of Matthew, we're given this extra phrase, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Which give us our last of the three of the ten of praises. Each one of the parts of the Lord's Prayer, I believe, is a distinct praise. Now, we've done five of them so far, right? Our Father is... Anybody remember? Our Father, I trust, I trust that you always have my best interest at heart. Right? The Lord's Prayer starts this way because if you understand the relationship that you're supposed to have with God, it sets everything else in motion. Our Father is about trusting that he always has our best interest at heart. In heaven means that we trust that he's all-knowing, all-powerful, and ever-present. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. We trust that there's no one like you. Right? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth. It is in heaven means I trust you to be the ultimate authority in my life. And then we got into give us this day our daily bread, which is I trust the portion, right? That's where we've been for the last several weeks. You can get all of that through the podcast. And where we're gonna go tonight is these next, next two uh, petitions, these next two praises that come in the Lord's Prayer. And then the last three, which give us round out the 10, I'm gonna explain how they're really a restatement of the first. So Father, as we just dig into the Lord's Prayer tonight, God, we pray that this, this, this prayer would just begin to dig into our hearts, that, that we want trust to define the relationship that we have with you. I, I know, God, that many people that are coming in here tonight, they're coming from different backgrounds, they're coming from different experiences, and it might be, God, that, that some of you, they don't have any trust in you at all because of the way they've been wounded and hurt in life and sometimes at the hands of churches. I, I pray, Father, that would healing would come to their hearts. And trust would begin to be restored so that they could begin this amazing journey to know you as their father in Christ's name. Come on, and everybody said, amen. It's interesting, too, that when you compare the texts in Matthew and Luke, what you find is that some scholars think that those 
conversations, that teaching happened at the same time, but it didn't. It it, it happened at two different times in Jesus' ministry, which is a reminder to us that sometimes Jesus taught the same thing over and over again throughout his three years, especially if they were foundational. So we know this prayer is important for us to understand because Jesus kept coming back to it. In Matthew 6, 12, in Matthew 6, 12, he, he uses the word debt. Let's read it again. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Now, Luke uses the word sin and indebted. Now, all of these together are supposed to give to us how we're supposed to understand what this praise is about. Sin was eventually popularized as the word trespass through the common book of prayer, and then the Catholic Church adopted that one too. I grew up in the Episcopal Church, and and that's the word that we learned. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. I, I, I have an affinity towards that word, I think, admittedly, because that's what I grew up with, but also I, I like the concept of trespassing. Because it says what sin is really about. It's going somewhere I don't have permission to go. At the end of the day, it's not about whether you think it's right or wrong. At the end of the day, it's not about whether or not you you agree that God gave you the restriction. It's about whether or not you believe as the praises start, I trust that you always have my best interest at heart. And if I trust that he always has my best interest at heart, when he said this is a trespass, I'm willing to obey at first because I trust him. And it's okay for us to then engage God in a conversation of why he likes that. But I'm not supposed to engage him in a conversation of why as if he has a responsibility to convince me to be obedient to him. I obey him because I trust him. And then my understanding should be something that comes just to affirm the obedience that's already in my heart. Trespassing is about going to a place that we don't have permission to go. Sometimes trespassing has to do with our relationship with God. Sometimes it has to do with our relationship with people. Listen to this word. It's ophilema. It's, It's the word that Matthew uses for debt. And it's a debt that is legally due. It it means, in in the Greek, in in Jesus' day, it meant this debt that you have is fair. It doesn't mean that it's a debt that's unfair, right? Sometimes you can can have debts and people have heaped on all of these penalties that that, that are against the law that they're not supposed to do. They they had words like that in Jesus' day too, but that's not what this one is. This means that you are responsible for a cost that your actions created. And it also means that the person holding the debt is justified in demanding that it be repaid. You can't just stop paying your mortgage and not expect to get a phone call from the bank. You should try that, right? Some of you are like, I did. It didn't turn out very well, right? Yeah, yeah. I've done that, Pastor. I've done it. You get it, right? It's fair. You borrowed the money. You made a decision. And the bank says, no, you owe me this money. It's It's fair. Let's talk about taxes. Come on, that'll hurt your feelings. You might not agree with them. You might want them to change. But all of us are obligated to pay them because the law has decided that it's fair that they be assessed to us. Fines, parking tickets, speeding tickets, the list goes on and on. Oftentimes when there's a traffic violation, we go to court, there's a fine that we have to pay. It's considered to be fair. You might not like it. You might 
not agree with it, but those who are in authority have determined that it's fair. God is the sovereign creator of the universe. And he chooses the boundaries that he asks us to live within. And when we step outside of those boundaries, there are consequences. And oftentimes, when we step outside of those boundaries in a way that affect other people, the debt, again, is not just one that I owe to God. Sometimes it's a debt that I owe to others. The word here to forgive is the Greek word aphiemi. It's a powerful word because it, it means to completely omit, to completely give up. It means to completely abandon. You see what Jesus is doing here, right? He uses this word debt. He uses this word sin. He uses this word trespass. And it means that you've done something that's, that's wrong and, and it's created a cost, right? It's very clear. And then he partners it with this word forgive, which is also very clear, which means that someone is willing to look at what was done. There's not a question about whether or not it happened, and it's not a question of, of whether or not the cost is fair. They're saying that, yes, we understand that you did it, and yes, you should have to pay the debt that you've created, but we're going to completely omit it. We're willing to send it away. We're willing to act like it never happened. Let me, let me restate this part of the Lord's Prayer in more a modern way. God, when I do things I'm not supposed to do or don't do things that I should, I understand it's like I'm trespassing, going where I'm not supposed to be, and when that happens, I'm spiritually indebted to you. And you have every right to demand the debt of my sin be paid. It is a debt I cannot afford, and I am desperate for your grace. And God, when others do things to me that they shouldn't do or don't do things that they should, I understand it's like they're trespassing, going where they're not supposed to go with me. And when that happens, they're spiritually indebted to me. And they are going to pay, and I mean big, even if it kills them. Right? Because that's this is how we live our lives. We want God in regards to our sin. We love this word grace. We know we did it. We know we deserve it. We knew better. And we come and God gives us that grace so freely. It just, it's effortless for him. It's his natural response to us because he's a perfect father. Then there's people, right, who have done things to you betrayed you, hurt you, harmed you. The Lord's Prayer does not make a distinction between our relationship with God and our relationship with people when it comes to trespasses. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. The prayer is acknowledging that there is a grace that he gives and it is a declaration that I'm going to turn around and give that same kind of grace to other people. I don't deserve it from him. They don't deserve it from me. That's what makes it grace. Let me make a couple of clarifying comments. As we forgive, it's not necessarily about restitution. It's not about justice. It's not about them getting a free pass on earning trust. 
people can be forgiven but still have to make restitution for what happened. People can be forgiven but still have to re-earn the trust. See, there's a misunderstanding about how forgiveness works, especially in Christian communities. A lot of people think that, well, if I forgive, it means that there can be no consequences at all. That's not true. Society would break down if none of those things would be required. This is about, listen to this, this is about me releasing my ill will toward them and also wanting them to be released from the spiritual and emotional burden of knowing that they have harmed someone. Let me read that again. This is about me releasing my ill will toward them and also wanting them to be released from the spiritual and emotional burden of knowing that they have harmed someone. I love Romans 5.20. It reads this way. God's law was given so that all people could see how sinful they were. But as people sinned more and more, listen to this, God's wonderful grace became more abundant. You've got to ask yourself the question, is there more grace in this world because of you or less? God said as as sin began to abound, grace began to abound all the more. The more there was sin, the more grace he brought. It's an example for us to live by. There should be more grace in this world because of what I'm choosing to do in response to other people, not less. I'm supposed to be a part of an outpouring of grace. Again, it doesn't mean that I have to make myself vulnerable, right, physically and emotionally to people that betray. People have to re-earn trust. That's okay. That doesn't mean that I haven't forgiven. It doesn't mean that if, if people need to make restitution, that's not what forgiveness is about because sometimes if there's not some restitution, right, then there's not a lesson learned and then sometimes what we're actually doing is, is that we're, we're enabling them to do those same things again and again. There can still be consequence in grace. Grace ultimately is about the ill will that you have in your heart towards them and about you wanting them to be set free from the shame that can grip their life and hold them captive. That's the power of grace. Some of you have heard the story before that um, when Vanessa's not in here, I like to tell stories about her. And so... Living on the edge. So that couch picture, it's, it means all different kinds of things for all different kinds of reasons, right? So, so when we were newly married, my, my uh, youngest brother uh, worked at a rock climbing gym in Richmond. Anybody ever done any rock climbing, right? It's, it's, it's a fun thing. It's a fun thing. And so now it's not really rock climbing because you're just on a, a, a wall there and there's mats on the floor and so there's less consequences. So it's a good place to learn. And, and the idea is that you go with a partner and as you're climbing up the rock wall, you have this harness on, and, it, and, and, and in this harness, there's a rope that passes through it, and that rope goes up through a pulley that's at the top of where you're trying to climb to, and then it comes out of that pulley, and it goes down to your partner, so that if you fall away from the wall, the person that's standing down there, they have a harness on, and that rope passes through a pulley, but that pulley has a natural break in it, and if you turn the rope, the, if, you, if you pull the, turn the rope the right way, it causes it to lock. Does that make sense? So that you don't fall. So I'm, I'm about two-thirds of the way up of this wall. So I, you know, I'm probably about maybe like 20 feet in the air. And so, and so I'm, I'm, I'm up there, and, and, and all of a sudden I, I lose my grip, right? And gravity is actually working, right? Surprise, 
And I'm like dropping and then stopping, dropping and then stopping, right? Several chunks at a time until the very end I get about six feet off the ground and then I just, it's a free fall all the way to the floor. And as I'm falling, I hear Vanessa saying, ow, the, the rope's burning my hand, right? Right? I'm like, yeah, so what? I'm falling in the air, right? And the workers are coming over. Now, if you know Vanessa, she's not backing down, right? There's no, I think I must have done it wrong. She's like, this rope was hurting my hand, you know? I mean, she's, he's trying to tell her what she did wrong. She, and she's like, I, I don't, it was burning my hands, right? And so, so that's a, right, well, this is a funny story that we share in our relationship about how she dropped me, right? You've got to make a decision. As you're climbing in life, if grace is enough to support the weight of the offense that has come upon you, you've got to make a decision if you're going to trust that grace is enough. We've all been there. We've been hurt. We've been harmed. We, we, we have this, this debt that we hold against another person, and the debt is fair. They did something wrong. It's not in question. There's no argument, right? The, 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 it's clear that they did something that they weren't supposed to do. And everything in our humanity wants retribution. Everything in our humanity, right? We want them to feel the same pain that we feel. That's, at the end of the day, that's really what we want. We want them to suffer because we suffer. You have to make a decision whether or not you believe that grace is enough to support the weight of the suffering that's in your life because of what happened. You've got to be willing to say to God and to, to the world, I trust the grace. You have to trust that God's plan is the best possible plan. You have to trust that this challenge of grace that he gives to me so freely that I'm now supposed to give to the world, you've got to trust that over time that grace is enough to heal your heart from the wound that's come upon you. And you've got to trust that grace and not more pain is ultimately what that person needs because what God is trying to create in the person that's harming, he's trying to create a new person that harms less in the world as they continue life. And if in these situations I just want them to hurt even more, it's, it's really the ultimate selfish act because I'm just willing to push them out of my life and I don't care that they're going to land in the lives of other people and continue to create hurt and harm. What they need from me is grace so that healing can come even if there's a fracturing of a relationship that can't be restored, which sometimes happens, is that they go into other relationships now with a heart that's beginning to heal. We trust the grace. Matthew 6, 13, the first part of this verse. 13a. Lead us not into temptation. Lead us not into temptation. This part of the prayer has been a subject of theological debate for centuries, and it's not going to end anytime soon. If God doesn't tempt, which the rest of the Bible tells us he only tests us, then why does Jesus say that? 
why does he say, why does he teach us to, to make this part of our prayer? Lead us not into temptation. Is it because that Jesus is a little upset because of what happened to him in Matthew 4, chapter 1, right? Where he was led away after his baptism. It's a powerful day. And then it says the Holy Spirit led him into the desert, into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil himself. Is it because Jesus has, has he's, he's got some hang-ups here with God? If he did it to me, he'll do it to you. I'm just saying you better look out. We know that's not Jesus, right? We know that's not what he believes about God. Why, why would he, right, everything about the Lord's Prayer up to this point, it just makes sense to us. And then we get to this place where he says, hey, you need to make part of your prayer, which I, again, would say is a praise. It's a declaration of faith. Why is he saying, ask God, talk to him about not being led away into temptation? My question is, why would I ask God to bring me, to not bring me to a place where I already stand? See, if you already realize that by virtue of the fact that you were born into this world, we stand in a place of temptation every day for the rest of our lives. And when we begin to realize that, that I'm already in a place of temptation, we begin to realize the prayer is not a petition asking God to not take me to a place because I'm already in that place. And that in and of itself begins to cause me to ask a deeper question than what does it mean? Listen to Galatians 5, 16 through 17. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces, listen to this, these two forces are constantly fighting each other. So you are not free to carry out your good intentions. This is a statement of reality for each one in dealing with our heart is that we live in a place where we're susceptible to temptation. There's something at war inside of us. There is the Spirit of God that is motivating us to live righteous lives that are pleasing to God, and then our humanity is constantly trying to lead us astray. As I was thinking about this part of the message, I thought about a famous clip from the Raiders of the Lost Ark, which we're going to watch in just a minute. There's one little part in here that's a little bit gruesome, so if you've got littles in here, I'm just giving you a, a fair warning. But I want, I want us to watch it because it depicts for us what happens in our lives day in and day out. Let's watch it together. I know every time I show those, you're like, just keep playing the movie. That's all right. You can preach later, right? This is all of us at some point in our life. We're way in the moment, aren't we? How much can I get away with? What, what do I need to do to, to get away with this thing that I'm doing that I know that I'm not supposed to do? We find ourselves in these situations where we're, we're, we're making choices and we're, and we're trying to figure out how much we can get away with. You can live your life like that for the rest of your days and what I'm saying to you is that, that your life will be so much less than what it could have been. 
when we begin to set aside the, the, the mental math of how close I can get to the edge without a consequence and shift our mindset and a mentality to a life that begins to say, God, I want to live a life that's pleasing to you. I want my life to glorify you in every way. I want grace to flow out of my life as freely as it flows from, from you to me. Are you with me? All of a sudden, all this, this mental energy and, 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 and even financial resources that just keep getting poured out over the brokenness of doing the same things over and over again that we know that we're not supposed to do, all of that now can get deposited into this new approach to life, to live a life that releases grace into this world. Your life is better in the lives of everyone around you. It's better. It's interesting to me that in the Lord's Prayer that the order of verses 12 and 13 are in the order that they are because sometimes it seems like they should be different. It seems like maybe this idea of lead me not into temptation and deliver me from evil should be first. And then I come to the place where I say, and forgive me of my sins as I forgive those who sin against me. Forgive me of my trespasses. Forgive me of my debts, right? Because it seems like what I say to God is, God, help me to not be tempted. And when I give in, I need you to step in and rescue me and deliver me. And then what I really need you to do as I need your forgiveness because I've messed up again, right? It seems that the flow of the Lord's Prayer should really be a little bit different when it comes to these two parts of the verse, if it's really going to reflect the human experience. And then I say, and because God, I learned that you give grace to me, now I'm going to give grace to other people. It seems that it should flow that way, doesn't it? But see, if it were taught to us that way, you know what begins to happen? It encourages the negotiating of the moment for how much I can get away with. Because now, grace, instead of motivating me to live a better life, grace is only my get-out-of-jail-free card every time I mess up. The reason why Jesus inverts them in the prayer, the reason why Jesus puts them in the opposite way of the human experience is because he wants the human experience to be different than it actually is. He wants us to live a life where we say, God, I know that there's grace that's always going to come to me. And I know that there's grace that I've got to be willing to give to other people. But I am never going to use that grace as permission to succumb to temptation. I'm never going to use that grace as, as permission to now I can just go and do whatever I want to do because I know that you're going to come and save me. He puts it first because he wants us to realize that grace is supposed to motivate me to live a better life, not give me a sense of permission to live less. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up. Ten declarations of trust. Ten moments of praise. We've worked through seven over four different sermons and dug into each one and what they mean and this, this idea of, of, of trusting the grace and this last one is, is I trust the way out. I trust the way out. It means that you're willing to say to God because he said to us that he's never gonna allow us to be tempted beyond what we're able to resist. 
And you and I have to be willing to say to him, God, every time I face temptation, I know that you've set a limit on how much the devil can put in front of me. Which means that every time we're tempted, God has given us everything that we need as we rely on him to resist it. I trust the way out. I trust that I can say no. I trust that I'm never going to find myself in a situation or circumstance where it's beyond my ability to resist. God is never going to allow you to be put into a circumstance in a situation like that. And then the Lord's Prayer, depending on which text you read from, finishes with these three incredible declarations. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. The writers of the Gospels, they're not trying to be poetic. This is the Holy Spirit inspiring them to give us one of the great bookends in all of Scripture, where how it started is exactly how it finishes. For thine is the kingdom because he's the Father, and the power because he's in heaven, and the glory because hallowed be thy name. The reason why the Holy Spirit is inspiring the gospel writer to finish with these three is because if you don't get these three right, nothing in the middle is ever going to happen for you. If you can't get to this place where you can say, I trust that God always has my best interest at heart. I trust that he's all-knowing and all-powerful and ever-present. And I trust that there's no one like him. If you can't get there, right, everything else in the middle you don't have any hope for. Because everything flows out of that. And so the gospel writers finish with this great declaration that his is the kingdom because he's the father, he's the father over it all, and we're all his. And he has all of our best interests at heart. Not just yours, not just mine. Everybody, always and forever. He always chooses what's best for us. And then I get to this place where I say, and yours is the power. It's, it's, it's me saying to God, I know that there is nothing in this world that's beyond your limits. I have limits as a father. You have limits as a parent. We have limits in this world. And sometimes those limits frustrate us. Can, can we just say God has never felt the feeling of frustration because he's been limited. He's limitless. And his is the glory because there is no one like him in the universe. There's no alternative. There's no option. We're so used to the human experience of having choices. If we don't like this store, we can go to that store. If we don't like this kind of music, we go to that kind of music. If we don't want this church, then we go to that church. God, there's no competition. He stands alone in the universe. And all the glory belongs to him because he deserves every bit of it because he stands alone. Stand with me. Father, I pray that as we move forward in life together, that there are going to be these declarations of trust that flow from our lives that we trust that you always have our best interests at heart. 
we trust that you're all-powerful and all-knowing and ever-present. And, and we trust that there's no one like you. And so we trust you to be the ultimate authority in our lives. And we trust the portion. We trust the grace. We trust the way out. And we say to you that yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. And, and whenever our lives seem to be a contradiction to those declarations of trust, we pray that your Holy Spirit and people around us that love us enough to ask us the hard questions would pull us back in. Because we know that any life, no matter how good the devil makes it seem, if it's living outside of these 10 declarations of trust, it's always going to be settling for less. Deliver us from mediocrity. We want our lives, oh God, to be completely immersed in the goodness that you have prepared for us from the foundations of the earth. We want our lives to live out the adventure that you've dreamed from us from the beginning of time. We want, Father, our lives to be lived in such a way that the grace in this world is getting bigger and not less. In Jesus' name, come on, and everybody said together, amen. Let's worship together.